Nations. Oh, so beautiful. So beautiful. Well, today we start our new series, Flawed. And I want to start with a question. Are there any flawed people here this morning? Okay, I've got about 10. So I think I need to read you the definition of flawed. Having or characterised by a fundamental weakness or imperfection. Have we got any flawed people here this morning? I've got two hands up. (laughs) We're all flawed, aren't we? We're all flawed in our own way. We all have bad habits, not just Aaron. We all have hang-ups. We all have failings, not just woolly. We all have brokenness and flaws in our life. And I'm not just talking about the obvious ones that everyone can see, like how uncoordinated I am at Pilates. Um, I I do provide everyone with some light-hearted entertainment, but um, that's one good thing. But the hidden flaws too, the ones that we desperately hope that no one will discover. And then there's the flaws that everybody can see but you. They're called blind spots. I haven't got any of those, but you know. Anne Lamott said it this way. She said, everyone is mixed up, broken, clingy and scared. Aren't you glad you came to church? (laughs) Everyone, even the people who seem to have it most together. So don't compare your insides to someone else's outsides. Or maybe you've been labelled by the world as flawed due to a physical disability or a mental illness or your past experiences, your appearance, your age or even your marital status. Well, be encouraged this morning because if you look in the Bible, right through the Bible, you will see flawed people just like you and me. And that's not the exception, it's the norm. You know, we talk about the great heroes of the faith, and yes, there are great heroes of the faith, but they were all flawed in some way. Some of them actually had issues on their issues. And I find that somewhat comforting. Not a justification for harboring sin or unhealthiness, but an encouragement that God can use flawed people. In fact, God uses flawed people, not perfect people. You just have to look through this list, listen to a few of them. Moses had a speech impediment. Abraham was old. Sarah doubted God's promise. Samson was a womanizer. Noah was a drunk. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Jeremiah was young. Jonah ran from God. Peter denied Jesus three times. Martha worried about everything, and that's just a few. The Bible is literally full of flawed people like you and me. And I think there's a few reasons for that. First of all, it kind of proves the Bible's real because it's full of real people like you and me. And also it makes the Bible very relatable, doesn't it, and applicable because we can see ourselves in particular characters. Now, I'm not going to ask you which character you can relate to. Don't worry about that. It's between you and God. But finally, the, the flawed people in the Bible just go to show off God's greatness and glory, that he can reveal his greatness and glory through flawed people like you and me. So if you're feeling flawed this morning, that's okay. You're in good company. If you're thinking that you're not worthy enough, just remember that Jesus chose a bunch of flawed people to bring hope to a flawed world. And throughout this series, we're going to take a look at four. That is four, yeah. I always have to check (laughs) because... 
because I've got a little bit of a problem with spatial awareness, <laughs> and I often sort of go like this, which reminds me, we did this um, Auslan um, course <laughs> a couple of days ago um, at Josh's house, and you have to kind of learn all the signs, and yeah, I, it just proves I have a problem with spatial awareness. <laughs> just ask Josh. He kind of looked at me, and he's just like, Mum, you know. And they would kind of do this, and I'd be doing this, and upside down. Anyway, it's just one of my flaws. It's okay. Where was I? Okay, we're going to look at four flawed Old Testament characters throughout the next four, week, four weeks. And we're going to kind of dissect their lives and look at their particular flaws and see what we can learn from them and see how we can apply those truths to our lives. And you might think, well, why the Old Testament? Why aren't we looking at New Testament characters? Aren't we under the New Covenant? Well, yeah, we are. But the Old Testament and reading the Old Testament is one of God's given ways to help us grasp and delight in the gospel. The Old Testament points us to Jesus in quite a profound way. And I think the story of Rahab, which is the story that I want to look at this morning, is a perfect example of a flawed person that was used mightily by God. And her story points us to Jesus in quite a profound way. So would you pray with me before we get into this story? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are great, you are holy, you are almighty, and yet you chose to reveal yourself through flawed people. We thank you, Lord, that in our weakness, your strength is made perfect. And we just lay our lives before you afresh this morning. We ask that you come and speak to us because you are always speaking to us. And we pray that we hear your voice this morning and that we go from this place changed, transformed to be more like you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Joshua 2 is where this story begins. And we find the people of Israel, under the leadership of Joshua, about to cross the River Jordan and enter their promised land. But before they enter that promised land, they have to conquer a Canaanite stronghold. They have to conquer the city of Jericho. And Jericho is where Rahab lives. So let's take up the story in Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab. Bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. So we find out very early in the story, don't we, what Rahab's flaw is. It's one of those obvious ones. Rahab the prostitute. She sells her body for money. She's living this immoral life and she's been shunned by her community. She doesn't live where most of the people live in the city. She's been shunned and put in the city walls. There's a stigma, there's a shame attached to her occupation. And it's in Rahab's house that the spies find themselves hiding. And it's most likely because they thought that they would go unnoticed because men would go in and out of her house at unearthly hours. But they don't go unnoticed. And the authorities come knocking at Rahab's door. And with that knock comes this moment of truth for Rahab. She's got to now choose her allegiance She's got to choose whether she's going to stay loyal to the pagan city that she's grown up in, 
enemies of God. They've been enemies of God for over 500 years. Or is she going to switch her allegiance and choose to protect the spies who represent the God of Israel, friends of God? And let's see what she chooses in verse 4. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. So Rahab adds lying to her flaws. <laughs> and she sends the soldiers on this wild goose chase. And then she goes up to the roof and she has this quite amazing conversation with the spies. And this is where I find the story gets quite profound. Listen to what she says in verse 8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon, Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. This is a heartfelt confession of her faith in God by a Canaanite prostitute, pagan woman named Rahab. And I don't know if you've noticed before, but in many translations, that word Lord is spelt like it is there with capitals. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And the text does that on purpose to draw our attention to the fact that Rahab, in this instance, is using the Hebrew sacred covenant name for Lord, Yahweh, which was rarely spoken. It was that sacred. And here is Rahab, the flawed prostitute woman, remember, the pagan worshipper, well, was a pagan worshipper, now declaring, your name is above every other name, God. Your name is Yahweh, Lord of Lords, supreme. What a confession of faith. Perhaps it was the very nature of her life that caused her to recognize the power of God. I mean, she'd been entrapped by sin for so long that when she comes face to face with the divine, her soul cries out to be free from that which had separated her from her creator for so long. And you know, with that simple phrase, Rahab, who'd only heard of the wonders of God secondhand, she speaks with more faith, with more assurance of the truth than some of the people of Israel that had witnessed the miracles of God firsthand and had died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. It's quite profound. And Rahab makes this confession of faith, and then she makes a bold request. Verse 12. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers 
and sisters and all their families. So Rahab asks for her own salvation. She says, save me. But she's not satisfied with that. She wants more. See, she's secured her own salvation. She's got hope for her future. But she now becomes a hope trafficker. And she says, I want more. I don't just want my own salvation. I want the salvation of all those that I love. It's pretty cool, isn't it? And the spies agree. They say it's a deal. It's a deal. Which is interesting in itself because God had actually told them back in Deuteronomy, don't make any deals with the enemy. Don't enter into any covenants with the Canaanites, the enemies of God. So why had God allowed the spies to make a covenant with Rahab the prostitute of all people? Radical grace. See, this was a picture of the radical grace that was to come in Jesus Christ. The same grace that's available to you and to me today. You know, that gives me hope. That gives me hope because when I look at myself with all my flaws... And just ask Aaron, there's plenty of them. <laughs> then I think sometimes, why would God make a deal with me? But he does. Do I deserve it? Absolutely not. Does he have to? Nope. But he chooses to. So then I have hope and I then become a hope trafficker and bring hope to a whole lot of other people because God uses flawed people like you and me to help save flawed people like you and me. So then the story continues. The spies then instruct Rahab to leave a red rope hanging outside her window. Always reminds me of that story of Rapunzel. I don't know why. Hang your hair out, you know. But anyway, their red rope hanging out the window. Obviously, that was for a practical reason, so that when the army came in to destroy the whole city, they would know which house to save. But there's a deeper significance to that red rope, particularly to the colour of the rope. The red rope in Rahab's window represented her salvation. The red rope in Rahab's story is a picture of what Jesus would do for you and for me. Some 1,500 years on from Rahab, that Jesus would come and shed his red blood on the cross, that he would pay the penalty, the punishment for all your sins once and for all and secure your salvation. How good is that? The writer of Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. That red cord, that's Jesus. Do you have a red cord tied in your heart? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So then the spies give Rahab some specific instructions. They say you've got to stay in your house with your family, don't go outside. You've got to help us escape, obviously, and then you've got to stay true to your confession of faith. You've got to actually do what you said you'd do. So she's now got to combine her faith with action. And there's two references to Rahab's faith in the New Testament. The first one is in Hebrews 11, which is that famous chapter in the Bible. It's called the Hall of Faith. It's kind of where you want your name to be. All the big names are there. All the heroes of faith are there. 
If we had a modern day one, it'd be like uh, Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. That's what I imagine. And guess whose name is there? Rahab's. You've got to read it to believe it. Hebrews 11:31. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And the second reference to Rahab's faith is found in James chapter 2. I want to read this one from the Message Bible because I think it paints a really great picture. It says, The same with Rahab the Jericho harlot. Just another word for prostitute. Wasn't her action in hiding God's spies and helping them escape that seamless unity of believing and doing what counted with God? The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works, and you get the same thing, a corpse. See, Rahab is this perfect example of a flawed person who combined believing and doing and walked out her faith with courage and passion. I mean, what is faith? If I say to you, Kim, give me a handful of faith. I can't see it, can I? Thanks. I can't see it. The only way I can see Kim's faith is by evidence of his faith. Like Michael preached a few weeks ago, show me. Show me by the way you speak. Show me by the way you act. Show me by the way you love one another deeply and with humility. Faith worked out. Faith is an action. And as Jesus followers, we know that we too, like Rahab, are called to, believe, to combine our believing and our doing because we don't want to be corpses, do we? We don't want to be dead, boring Christians. We want to be alive, passionate followers of Jesus. Well, one of us does anyway. <laughs> so back to the story. Most of you will be familiar with the story. What happens next, the army come, that, sorry, the army doesn't come in. The army marches around, instructed by God to march around the walls for six days. Seventh day, blowing trumpets and shouting. And on the seventh day... The walls come down. Nothing to do with what the army does really physically. I mean, they don't get out their latest Makita jackhammers and start, you know, going through the walls. <laughs> I mean, they're two metres thick. They're not going to have much chance, are they? It was, a, it was a work of God. So let me ask you this question. What role did the spies actually play in the story? Why did God send the spies? Perhaps, just perhaps, God knew who was living in the city walls. Just perhaps this was more of a rescue mission than it was a spy mission. I mean, that would be the heart of God, wouldn't it? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus, on a rescue mission. To seek and to save flawed people like you and me. So that if we would believe in Jesus, we would not perish but have eternal life. So good. Now, the story of Rahab doesn't end in Joshua chapter 2. The Bible tells us that she is taken back to live with the people of Israel. And that's another picture in itself. Because when we become followers of Jesus, we then become part of the family of God. So she, she was a pagan worshipper. She's now with the children of Israel, worshippers of God. We now become part of the family of God. 
And this is where the story gets really romantic. I kind of love it. It's so good. Because, listen to this. It says, she married a man named Salmon. There's a baby name for you. And, um, and tradition says, tradition says, so it's not 100% true, but I believe it. Tradition says that Salmon could have been one of the spies. How beautiful is that? So she married one of the spies. Well, I think that's beautiful. <laughs> so Rahab and Salmon have a baby named Baramund, I mean Boaz. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, Boaz. And Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. And as Matthew chapter 1 reminds us, from the bloodline of David came Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen. So Rahab the prostitute is in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. If that isn't redeeming grace, I don't know what is. Oh, the same grace that Rahab experienced is now available to you and to me and to all that we choose to share that grace with. How good is that? As the team comes, I just want to go back to, to Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. That, that hall of faith chapter where Rahab is listed. You know, and we say, oh, she's, she's um, listed amongst the best of the best, the heroes of faith. But, you know, if you take a closer look, they're all flawed in that chapter. And there's Rahab. And then the writer goes on to paint this picture. And it says that they're, they're all the heroes of faith. And then it says that those heroes of faith are like these witnesses, like this great circle of witnesses up in heaven that are cheering you and me on today. It's kind of a cool picture, isn't it? They kind of go, come on, you can do it. You can do it. And this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, as for us, we have all of these great witnesses those, those hall of faithers who encircle us like clouds, each affirming faith's reality. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin that we so easily fall into. And then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path has been already marked out before us. See, these great witnesses, they weren't perfect people. I think we've established that they were flawed, but they were the ones who let go of the past and pressed on, who got into the middle of it despite all their flaws and gave their life a good red-hot go, holding on to God every step of the way. See, your flaws, my flaws, are not our obstacle in our life race. They're not. Our ability to strip them off is to be healed of them or to run despite them is and to hold on to God with all that we've got and if we fall over to get up and to keep going and to take that next step of faith let's not listen to the voice of condemnation and shame that would shout us and say you're too flawed you're too old you're too young you're not experienced enough your past is too bad you're too weak. You're too insecure. Don't listen to those voices. Listen to the crowd of witnesses in the heart of God that says, you can do it. Come on. You've got God within you and God is for you who can be against you. And when I look at that picture, I'm reminded of um, Piper's kindy carnival that I went to a couple of few weeks ago. 
And um, I have to show you a little clip. Now, one of my other flaws is that I'm terrible at technology. And, and when I film something, Josh just laughs. But I'm going to show you anyway because it's kind of raw and you'll hear my voice screaming in the background. But let's have a, have a look at this little um, clip that hopefully the guys can get up for you. You know, she, she actually wasn't that interested in what everybody else was doing. She was just running the course that was marked out for her. She didn't care that her spoon was a bit bigger than everybody else so that she could keep the egg on there. She didn't care that she had to start a little bit further than everybody else. She was just running her race with joy and reveling in the fact that she had her daddy cheering her on, that her mummy was at the finish line going, come on, you can do it, Piper. That her embarrassing Gaga and Nanny were screaming from the sidelines. That's the heart of the Father for you. He doesn't care whether you're coming last, whether you're coming first, whether you've got a good style or whether you're gangly like me, whether you trip over, he just desires that you run the race that he's marked out before you and that you get up and you take the next step. And sometimes in your life, there'll be little baby steps. Other times it'll feel like you're taking great leaps of faith. Other times it'll just be that you're carried by people around you and that's the beauty of community. But just take that next step. Combine that believing with your doing and run your race with passion and determination for God uses flawed people like you and me to bring hope to a flawed world. And just to help us this morning, take that perhaps next step of faith. It could be a little baby step, could be a big step. But on your seats, there'll be a little um, slip of paper. Can I have one of those, Aaron, please? Thanks. And it just says this. It says, this week my faith step will be. And there's a scripture down there just to remind you. But what I'd love us to do actually right now, there's some pens probably at the end of some of the rows there, or you can borrow one from somebody. Just spend a moment. Just spend a moment between you and God. There's nothing to do with anybody else around you. Just ask God, what's that one thing that I know you are asking me to do this week? It might be having a difficult conversation that you know you've had to have with somebody. It might be sharing your faith with someone that you know that God's been calling you to do. It might be bringing something out into the light and making yourself accountable to someone. It can be something small, it can be something big, it's something different for everybody here. So I'm going to be quiet so that God can just speak to you and just write that down right now and then we're going to pray together.
stand with me and just hold those pieces of paper in your hand? And let's pray together. God, we come to you now with our simple faith. Those steps that we know we need to take. And many, many of us would look at these and say, they're too big or they're too hard or we're too scared or we're too young or we're too old. Whatever it is, God, that is holding us back, we choose to lay that down right now. And we choose to take up your strength and your power to be able to step out and do that which we know that you have called us to do. We thank you that as we do, that you are with us, that you never leave us or forsake us, that you go before us and behind us and with us. Help us to trust you, God, and to know that you are able to work all things together for good to those who trust in you. We want to run our life race with passion and courage, the race that you have marked out for each one of us. Thank you. Thank you for your redeeming grace. And thank you that your grace is all we need to take that next step towards you. And they all said, Amen. If you just keep your eyes closed just for a moment. I just want to give an opportunity right now for anyone that actually hasn't taken that very first step of faith and said yes to Jesus. Yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I want to receive that grace that Rahab received. And it's as simple as saying yes to Jesus this morning. Yes, I want to follow you. Yes, I believe that Jesus died on that cross for me, that he took my punishment, he took my sin on that cross so that I could have opportunity to enter into relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to look right now and if you'd like to make that step, if you'd like to make that commitment, I'd ask that you just raise your hand up nice and high right now so I can see. Is there anyone here that'd like to say yes to Jesus this morning? Let's go into this song and let, let's declare this truth this morning. In Jesus' name.